1: Happy Monday, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, we're answering a listener question, and Brandon and I are talking about iliotibial band syndrome, or ITB syndrome. So we talk a little bit about what it is, what are the proposed mechanisms, uh, what a, we would do to assess this in clinic, and then really, uh, how are we going to get this person better? So I think there's a lot of actionable content you're really going to enjoy. Uh, if you haven't already, please go on, leave us a review on iTunes. It's, it's huge for us. Uh, that's how we reach more people. We're getting close to a hundred, so if you haven't already, please go on there and do that. Again, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Brandon, how are you doing, my man?
2: I'm doing well. It's been a good week. Uh, A little little under the weather, but I'm just going to blame that one on the kids.
1: How yeah. it goes. I was gonna say you got um, you know, between the lack of sleep and, and and you know, having two babies at home, that's a that's gotta be a kind of a easy place where uh illness kind of just spreads.
2: Yeah, it's dad life, man. I don't think there's a whole I can do about it.
1: Yeah. I but, mean, um, it was so cool to see to get to finally meet Bo when you brought him by the clinic the other day. That was great. Yeah, he's the man. He's oh uh, man, he's it's a cute little kid. Yeah, he's thankfully he looks nothing like you, buddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: It looks exactly like my daughter did. It's crazy. It could be like a clone <laughs> almost. It's, it's, but, oh, it's, been, um, it's been a good week at the clinic. Um, Pat Casey, he's officially out of the Army. I know. And he's going his full time. And, and you know what? I think he is loving life right now. Yeah. He actually started this boy band Friday thing the other day at the clinic. Oh,
1: gosh. <laughs> no lie.
2: Dude, he was singing. He was dancing. Of course, the patients were loving it. And it, it, it totally reminded me of like the kids that I went to college with who grew up homeschooled.
1: And just yeah. went wild when they got out of the school except <laughs> so, you
2: know, Pat Pat's not rebelling, he's not like, you know, raging downtown, but he's just He's just flossing to the Backstreet Boys, man. It's a it's a good vibe right now at the office.
1: Oh man, I'm so jealous that I'm not there right now. I mean, I'm very very excited and happy to be on this rotation, but at the same time, I would love to see Pat dancing to some good '90s boy band music. But uh,
2: apparently, it's gonna be a Friday thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, talk about a great addition to the staff, man. Um, you know, we love Pat. We're so excited to have him on full time now, and that's gonna be a huge huge addition to the clinic. So I'm I'm pumped to get to learn from him too once I get back to Columbia full time.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this episode, man, this one uh, this one came all the way from Israel, from the Holy Land. That's actually oh, yeah. one of the top three countries on my bucket list to visit, by the way. Mm-hmm. And it's from a gentleman named Nadav Socho. And I'm sorry if I butchered your name, but we appreciate you listening. We appreciate the question. And it's cool. This podcast has got some global reach worldwide, mm-hmm.
1: baby. Yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We got, we're got. we starting to, uh, when we're getting to other countries, man, that's such a cool experience. So we do it's appreciate it. If you're listening from other countries, don't hesitate to reach out and let us know because it does. It is really cool to hear that.
2: Absolutely. Um, And it will probably pump you up the list, too, of requests if you're reaching out all the way from.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. You might jump a few spots (laughs) in line for
2: sure. Yeah, for sure. So he asked us to share our thoughts on iliotibial band syndrome or ITV syndrome for short. And he says that he's had a few cases, I assume, in his clinic that he's seen and he wants to hear what we got to say about it.
1: Yeah, so I guess first we should probably define exactly what ITB syndrome is, you know, um, because I think there might be some misconceptions on, you know, what's actually happening and also, you know, what we can do with it. So do we want to go ahead and define that first?
2: Yeah, definitely. So ITB syndrome, you'll also hear it called IT band friction syndrome as well. And when you read about it, if you look it up online or in a textbook, it's going to often refer to it as like a repetitive strain or, or an overuse injury and it's also called runner's knee but it's not to be confused with the other runner's knee which is patellofemoral pain so patellofemoral pain hurts in the front where IT band syndrome is going to hit you on the outside of the knee and it yeah. might be all around the entire knee but it's also got to be on the outside and you'll see people that have this they'll have this uh, runner's flat like obviously runner's knee hikers you'll sometimes see it in cyclists and people are going to commonly complain about it especially when they're running or walking downhill downhill or going downstairs And uh, you know, remind me me that I said that because I want to make sure we we touch on that a little bit when we get to talking about like how we treat it and that kind of thing. But the other thing with with it, I think it's important to talk about uh, whenever it's commonly referred to as like a friction syndrome and you're all, you'll commonly hear people say things about it being tight. We need to kind of break down the anatomy of it just a little bit because I think there are some misconceptions that kind of come along with it whenever you talk about the IT band. So um, Josh, I mean, I know you're in school right now, so your anatomy is probably a lot more fresh than mine is. So you want to maybe talk about a little bit about the structure of it and kind of we can kind of go back and forth on that So,
1: yeah so um i think the the common misconception like you mentioned there are a lot around this is that this is something that is is i guess you know pliable or that we can can really do a lot with what what really is going on is you have these larger muscles your tensor fascia and your and your glute max coming down and they kind of come together blend merge into this common tendon that is the the IT band right and that is what is coming down that side of your leg all the way down it's attaching to uh, what's called Gertie's tubercle on the lateral side of your tibia and you know again this is something where you know historically we've thought like you can you can stretch this right and a lot of this might be because that is you know that structure is tight and maybe that's what's causing it we're and more and more we're we're kind of breaking away from that thankfully because it's really a dense, thick piece of connective tissue that's extremely strong. And so for us, when we're talking about, you know, working on this, we're not going to work really too much on the the tendon itself and and trying to change the the structure or the length of that tendon. But yeah, so essentially it's those two muscles coming down together that have kind of this common tendon that goes down and, and it does travel the length of your femur, uh, crosses the knee and attaches down on your tibia on the outside on that tubercle.
2: Yeah, that's that's a great description. And just to elaborate on that a little bit more and, and drive the point home about how it's pretty uh, pretty much a fixated structure. I mean, the, I think one of the ways that it was described to me back in PT school is... IT band it, it doesn't have distinct edges like a lot of other tendons do it, the way I like to think about it is more like a thickening of the connective tissue that surrounds the thigh and and I think the best way to, to think about it is like the, it's like the thick part of a sausage wrapper on the outside mm-hmm. um you know kind of where the seam would be if you can if you can think about that and um it, you know one of its roles we think about is that it might uh, store energy when we release whenever we run um but it has very deep connections down to bone I mean these are deep attachments along all along the way on your thigh bone, even to your kneecap. And then like you mentioned, it's anchored to Gertie's tubercle. Um, very, very firmly anchored all the way down. And again, that that last part is so important because if we can accept that it's anchored, like think welded to the bone, let's just call it that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not meant to move freely. And we know that we can't stretch it at all, right? So if you believe that you can stretch the IT ban, I've got some motion front property to sell you in Colorado, which, by the way, we're going to be coming to you live uh, February 2020 <laughs> at CSM. Shameless plug there. Um, <clears throat> but just, just again, I, I don't want to go on a rant here, but you know, as a side note, as I'm thinking about runners in my head the whole time we're talking about this. I love treating runners. I really do. But the ones in my community, the ones that come to my clinic, they are rational people, man. They're intelligent, and in a lot of cases, they're Republicans. But when it comes to running, they are the fastest to reject science and prove like okay you're telling me the it band is scientifically proven not to stretch cool story bro because the art guy down the street told me that he can stretch it and oh by the way he can also break up my scar tissue while he's at it and if you mention to him oh i need to strength train to not get hurt and to perform better nah man my coach said that i'll get muscle bound and i'm not really sure what that means but it doesn't sound good and like i tell you man it's it's and, and i'll assume that that's you know my delivery maybe sometimes why i might lose is some of those other practitioners, but. You know how they say that data doesn't drive behavior. I found that one of the best things that I'm able to do to get runners to buy into strength training is to show them clips of Mo Farah, Olympic mm-hmm. lifting, right before the 2016 Olympics. For some reason, that just seems to resonate with them. You know, Because the thing, like the story behind that is that Father Tom should have taken him out of the sport, at least competitively at the Olympic level. But he changed his training up, and he dominated at an older age against a younger field. And he contributes that a lot to his strength training. But... Um, I gotta, I gotta get off that topic though because it's just, it can be, it can be a little bit frustrating. But um, it's something I'm trying to learn to, to work with a little bit better um, as a PT, at least in my community
1: yeah no um, I think that's great that you brought you bring up that um, you know most specifically is a great example but I think a lot of times in in any sport or or anything like that when there's been things that have been done the same way for a long time a lot of times it does take the people at the top doing something a certain way and it trickles down and sometimes people at the bottom they, they you know at the kind of the bottom of that whole continuum are are not really ready for that change or don't see that change as being necessary or like you mentioned kind of reject it but um, so hopefully you know that that uh, trickles down a little bit and and I think it is I think there are a lot of people pushing, you know, those, you know, those concepts in terms of at, you know adding more resistance training into their programs, reducing mileage, just being, you know, training smarter in my opinion there. Um, and and so hopefully that continues. Um, but, you know, this is something too where, um, you know, I get people all the time like, oh man, I need to, I need, I'm going to go ahead and, and I got a foam roll my IT band site. I'm going to hop on a foam roller mm-hmm. I see that in the gym. And I'm just, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I want to shake my head a little bit, but usually it just is a conversation They're like, well, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, and then, you know, trying to explain a little bit of all those things you said that we're, we're not really doing much to it.
2: Well, that's what you see if you, if you Google IT band and physical therapy, you're going to see like a hundred images of people on foam rollers. Right. So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, but that does make, make the point that you should at least talk about that a little bit too. And, and maybe there's a couple of ways that you can implement that. Uh, it's foam rolling, but drive the point home. there are not actually changing length and Maybe we can talk about it later on too at the end. Right. But there's, there's another misconception. So we've, we've kind of nailed down the fact that it doesn't stretch, but going back to what's commonly thought about as being a friction syndrome, it, it's actually a highly debated topic. Um, because the evidence seems to be pointing to the fact that the IT band does not actually create any frictional forces over that lateral condyle of the femur, but we can't deny the fact that there have been ultrasound studies that have shown that it actually does move back and forth a little bit when we flex in the knee, but that might be insignificant, right? Okay. So if it's not friction that's causing the pain, it's not causing the problem, uh, what's happening, we really don't know 100%. But one theory is that whenever that knee bends around 20 to 30 degrees, and it's probably closer to 30. And for those who aren't familiar with that jargon, it's just like the first little bit of your knee bending. Some of those soft tissue structures around those deep attachment points, may be getting impinged or pinched on a little bit. So for a runner, this would be, you know, right around the time your foot hits the ground in that early stance phase. So clinically what that might mean is that if we're getting some eccentric contractions around those muscles of the hip, like the TFL and the glute max, like you talked about, um, which, which, doesn't make the IT band you know, wrap around, but it actually kind of tensions that leg um, almost like a bow on a bowstring so that leg can decelerate. That might be what it actually is going on as opposed to it being frictional. Any thoughts yeah, I- about that?
1: Yeah, no, I think um, classically, at least in, in school, we learn more of it as a, a friction issue and that the, the movement that you do see as you flex in the knee, you know, that is what's causing the individual's pain. But you're right, I guess there's, uh, you know, a little bit more debate there now. And there's more, um, you know, more evidence coming out to the contrary. But uh, you know, ultimately, you know, we're going to, wh- whether it is a friction, whether it's not, I mean, we we know how we're going to go about, you know, working with this individual, you know, because ultimately the the treatment of, of what we're going to do is going to be the same. So, you know, it's, so they're going to, be, people are going to debate that a little bit. And, and I don't think it necessarily matters too much to me because it's still going to end up, you know, I'm going to be, you know, going the same direction and, and with training and explaining, you know, what they're going to need to do, um, you know, the same way.
2: Yeah. It, and it, it may or may not matter. It just, you know, if people have this perception in their head that every time I flex and extend my knee, go to bend and straighten at that, I'm just rubbing this in. down and and it doesn't actually work like a, like a worn out brake pad. So that's what Somehow, somehow, kind of work that into the conversation with a patient.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a big part of where what we say matters so much. So it's like, you know, you know, talking about, you know, there's there's rubbing going, all that. You know, I mean, it's simply for me, it's like, hey, you know, when you know, based on, you know, a lot of times you're also if you're doing a really great subjective, and it is say a runner, and you're getting things about their mileage and and how that compares to, you know, you know, to what they've done previously. You know, they're ramping up quickly, or what? You know, are they doing any other training? You know, for me, I I relate it back to that. Well, you know, based on you know what I see and kind of what. You're, you're you're telling me about your training it's most likely we've just got a little irritation there that we can address through x y and z and then start talking mm-hmm. about the training modifications the, and increasing mm-hmm. resistance training you know being a little bit smarter about our running our, our mileage progression and, and i turn it back to there of, of just like yeah we got a little we got something you know it's not too happy with us in there and this is how we're going to end up be, you know getting better um, so I don't necessarily yeah. dive in too much to like structurally what's happening with people unless they just are really pushing with it. Cause I don't think mm-hmm. to them, like, I don't think I really need to right there, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, and I think it just kind of always depends on the person in front of you, right. but you kind of touched on the next point, right? Talking about causes. I mean, it's like, here we go again, talking about acute, acute to chronic workload ratio. Right. Um, but you will commonly see this when people, again, they just begin packing on a bunch of miles and all of a sudden they, they weren't accustomed to. Mm-hmm. So in theory, even if there was a such thing as a perfect running gait, you know, these people could still have issues, even if every step taken was like biomechanically perfect, but the tissue just might not have the capacity to withstand the task. And, you know, also while we're talking about this, there, there was a decent study performed a while back on some military recruits with IT band syndrome. And it showed that most of their symptoms actually occurred in the later miles of their runs or in their hikes. And, you know, I do feel that this actually does hold true for most of the people that I see in the clinic. Um, generally as long as it's not really really hot and fresh and acute these runners can start out fine but things will start to fall apart in later miles and and, and for me that raises a question does their running gait change when they're fatigued And if so training is absolutely going to be one of the biggest considerations outside of what you do in the clinic and um, other things to think about too um, just think about environmental and equipment issues right so You know if you got a person who's running on the side of the road or is angled or canted side to side or like on a curb or something like that nothing you can do in the clinic is going to fix that right um footwear can be an issue you know those stupid hoka shoes with the giant cushions are they're going to likely create all kinds of aberrant motions every time the foot hits the ground right so you know look be careful scribing absolutes right you know it's my personal opinion that hokas might be good for people like ultra marathon runners because most time they're just run walking or shuffling but for the rest of you, it's probably not the best choice in most cases. We could probably do a whole episode on, <laughs> on focus. But, um, you know, think about it, man. Runners are people, too, and they, they fall for all types of gimmicks. So don't be surprised if they have some kind of strange insert in their shoes that they don't need because to- their coach told them to help. Um, stuff you see all the time, people come in. So definitely take, take the time to look at the equipment and um, the environment as well.
1: Yeah, no, I think you you know you hit the nail on the head, and that there's so many different variables, and that's why a great subjective is so important here because there really isn't going to be some, like some great uh, physical test, right? We know Ober's test is 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 for lack of a better word, a shitty test, and then you know, and it's it, there's there's not going to be something like oh, you're going to do this in clinic, and boom, ITB syndrome. Like we are, we nailed it. So a lot of it is asking the person about their you know about their training habits what they're you know see what shoes they're wearing um, you know watching them run you know talking to them about when the symptoms occur you know and how much running they have to do before you know they, those symptoms ramp up and then how you know how high do those symptoms you know how how bad does it get and then what do they do to ease it and then how long does it take for that to ease off and and you know oh. going through a great subjective is, is how you're going to determine where to start with your treatment there cuz you know most time whenever i see this or anything else related to running i know you know this doesn't have to just be in runners but that just seems to be who you know, this seems to be, you know, a population that ends up experiencing this a fair amount. Um, it almost always can come back to their training, right? Um, mm-hmm. And not always, but uh, a lot of times. And so, if you're not asking about that, if you, you know, if you're one of those, you know, people, they come in, you know, I, I hate to say this, but kind of how we learn in school, you come in, you do, you know, they have panel the side of the knee, you're thinking ITB, you do an overtest, oh, they're tight, because pretty much everybody's going to have that, because it's not really an ITB length test. Um, and, uh, you know, Yeah, test the capsule, right? Exactly, yeah, you're not really getting ITB. You're not, yeah, so... We could talk. That's a whole another conversation. But um, but again, if if you're not asking, you know, your person just tells you you're a runner, you're, they're a runner. You know, that's going to completely change your approach if you don't really dive into what they've been doing, what they're trying to do, what they're training for. I, mean, I had a runner in clinic last week, and it wasn't necessarily an ITB situation, but they want to run an ultra marathon in October, and or, um, or, and you know, they decided last week that they wanted to. You know, so it was like, okay, so what did they do? They went out and ran a ton decided maybe two weeks ago, they went out and ran a ton because they realized they needed to catch up a little bit or they felt like they needed to and boom, they're having, you know, an overuse injury. And so it's, it's, one of those things, a great subjective is so important here and it's going to kind of guide you on what you're going to do next.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely, man. sounds like you've uh, got some, some good mentorship from the CIs, man, a little symptom behavior model.
1: Yeah. yeah, center. No, but I mean, that's exactly what you're kind of doing there. Cause you're trying yeah. to figure out how irritable it is and and really what their threshold is. And then talking yeah. about progression. So just, you know, not to get too far off the topic when we're talking about runners and how much to progress, we're not trying to progress more than maybe 10% in a week, you know, and then, you know, we also over the course of like an entire week, you don't really want more than say like a third of your total volume to be on any one individual run. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, if you're going through that with, with people and they're, you know, they're jumping, you know, these huge, you know, increments in mileage or, you know, they go on, you know, even if their overall increments don't go you know too far, maybe they have a mileage goal, but they missed a run during the week. So they pile it on at the end of the week. And so that one at the end of the week ended up being much longer than anticipated. I mean, that's, that's how you lead to these types of things. And so, um, you know, for me, that's my, one of my first questions with people was, uh, you know, talk to me about your training.
2: Yeah. that's such a, that's such a big part of the, the runner psychology too. Like the thing you got to understand is like, no matter what you tell them, about acute to chronic or clear ratios and nerve use injuries. A lot of times it doesn't matter because they got to get the miles in to feel like mm-hmm. they're going to be able to finish the race and that kind of thing So yeah. sometimes you got to be able to beat them halfway because it's probably going to happen. Regardless. Oh yeah, and that's but, where um, I try
1: to I try to go with more of like a, like you can still get work in. Let's talk about non impact ways to yeah. still continue and and you know get them. You know if they really feel like they got to get them more, more work in is you're talking to them on like biking, running, skiing, those type of things. And and how do we design kind of an aerobic progression for them on a, you know, something that's non impact and. and and, and mm-hmm. allow them to continue to improve because it's not just about the miles. So right. um, there's, yeah, you're right. It's a tough conversation sometimes yeah. to have with people,
2: for sure, absolutely. But um, kind of moving along a little bit, just just thinking about things that you might see in a clinic, right? So kind of the the typical avatar, if you will. Um, so a person with IT band syndrome, you know, keep it in mind that no two people are alike, but you'll start to see some patterns and. Let, let's let's take some time to, to dive into running eight in, in a minute, but just taking that person out of, out of that task, um, the kind of stuff that you'll see is a lot of like what we talked about on the previous episode we did with health, moral pain. You're going to see people when they come in and you have them walk with their shoes off, they might be an you know, overpronator, really flat feet, too many toes on. Uh, a lot of times that could be an ankle mobility issue. They could be lack of dorsiflexion, maybe maybe lack of lateral tibial glide, right? Vertex strength mm-hmm. just did a great video on that. If you haven't seen it yet, hit pause and follow vertex strength <laughs> yeah. on this Tibial internal rotation, that might be lacking, and that's something you'll pick up on later when you look up the chain a little bit. Um, they might be lacking terminal knee extension, which could be an issue if that IT band doesn't get a chance to sit anteriorly to that lateral femoral epicondyle. Um, some early heel rise, you know, maybe you'll see some movements in the frontal plane, like the pelvis dropping to one side. Um, I think, though, that a lot of times things are going to get revealed better, though, if you have them do a like, functional test, like a squat or a single leg stance test or like a lateral step-down test. Because a lot of times you're going to see their knees basically either either cave or it could even be controlled movement towards the midline. And chances are, if that's happening on a controlled test in the clinic and that kind of environment, it's happening a little bit every time their foot hits the ground whenever they're running. And uh, on another note with that, if they talk about downhill being particularly a bad issue, I would also see what their, their step down looks like moving forward as well. And um, one other caveat with that, though, is keep in mind that some people have antiverted hips, right? So think like pigeon-toed whenever you, you know talk about that because this is the way that their ball fits in the hip socket. So, you know, you can do a little Craig's test to confirm it, but you usually know that from the get-go when you see people walk in the door. Um, but I say this because a person like that might need a much different strategy for the rest of the people that come through your door, especially with this kind of condition. Um you touched on a little bit too, right? You talked about special tests, you know, the Overs test, not really a good IT band test. Um, there's the Noble compression test as well, too. But, you know, those aren't going to be, in my opinion, as as meaningful, and they're not going to give you a ton of information as opposed to watching these people move. Anything else you think about you wanted to add to with with that part at all man
1: i don't know if i need to man yeah i mean you you went uh went down the rabbit hole a little bit there and i think it was great um you hit on a lot of different points there that are considerations and things that that sh- you should you know take into consideration and check if you can um you know as you're going through it because um you know again i you know i mentioned i kind of went on a tangent there maybe a little soapbox about um more of the programming and progression side of things um mm-hmm. but you know that that only that is only one part of the picture, and I may I made it seem like a very big deal, and I do think it's a very big deal. But you're right; there may be some kind of other limitation that we have to address too, or some other thing that we need to, you know, make sure that we're talking to them about or giving them strategies to work on. So uh, it's got it's all about you know being able to. to you know, treat the entire person. You know, you mentioned all going all the way down and checking the feet. You know, there's there's so much more than just the knee. So we don't want to just focus on where their pain is. We want to look at kind of their entire. You know, how they move and also what they've been doing and what they plan to do. Uh, and then you can really you know come up with a, a, a great solution to help them. Uh, you know, help them progress
2: yeah for sure man because I mean you really don't spend that much time like treating the actual knee it's right exactly like, like a hip trunk and ankle uh rehab session for the most part but um I guess this is kind of <laughs> Could kind of turn into like a, 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 a runner's episode here, but I know, um, I know. <laughs> running game. Cause I mean, most people come in are going to, yeah,
1: no, yeah. it's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I think the only, I mean, again, I'm very, you know, novice in the clinic. I've had a couple of clinical rotations, so it's not like I have a ton to, to bat, you know, use out to pull out experience wise, but I don't think I've ever seen this, at least me yet and someone that isn't a runner. So um, yeah, for sure. you know, I, I know it's definitely possible cyclists, some, you mentioned hiking or that kind of thing, but military, um, military. Yeah. Military, yeah.
2: Like, well, um, let's, so let's, let's talk a little bit about renegade, right? Yeah. So when, anytime we talk about renegade, the first thing I'll say is this, the, just abandon any of your preconceived notions of what quote unquote normal is, because I don't believe the perfect renegade exists. I and mean, you, you can count numerous cases of world-class athletes who win championships and don't get hurt that wouldn't fit anywhere near what your biomechanic book tells you that someone should look like and, you know, call it art experience, trial and error, whatever. At some point, you as a clinician is going to need to make the decision as to what's relevant before we vilify something and make a person think they're broken or actually make them a worse athlete. Um, and, and that's really with anything that comes to your door, not just IT band syndrome. So if you're going to assess someone's running gait, you know you might do a treadmill test or an overground test. I mean, you might do both. Just think of as getting baseline data. And if it's provocative, then that's just icing on the cake, right? Mm-hmm. So Things you might see, it could, it could really be anything. You see any type of runner. I mean, you, you might see a runner crossing over, right. They might cross one foot over the other crossing the midline. They might have more of a narrow width than you would expect. Um, it might be a heel striker, midfoot, mm-hmm. forefoot. They could yep. be it could be different side to side. I mean, they could heel strike the left forefoot on the right, whatever. Um, it might sound really loud. There could be a lot of vertical displacement, like the, you know, the heads bobbing up and down a lot. Um, there might be a lot of side to side movement, you know, hips and trunk dip in one direction at the point of this is that you probably won't be able to pigeonhole someone. Um, if you're filming and hopefully you are and you, you pause during the stance phase, you might see the foot like it's kicked out relative to the knee and that could be because the femur is internally rotated relative to the tibia or the tibia is externally rotated uh, relative to the femur. Um, so, just something thinking about there. Um, the the other thing, too, to, to the, and I think this is actually a lot easier to do on the treadmill. Is when you're getting this baseline data, get their step rate or their cadence. You know, have them warm up, then work up to a run or a jog, and you know, wait until they feel like they're dialed into whatever their familiar pace is, be it distance or race pace, and just calculate how many steps per minute they take. Um, and just FYI, most recreational runners, according to the literature, are going to fall somewhere around 160 to 165 steps per minute
1: wow man that was a uh, that was a again a very um in depth overview of some things you can see but you know just to highlight one point that you made is that, like there is there's not necessarily a perfect here right you know you're you know what it uh what was it um everybody went wild when the um The winner of I think it was the London last London Marathon was you know a major heel striker too, and that was Mm -hmm. like you know blasphemy like oh my gosh you can't land on your heels it's you know it's the devil. Um, So I think that you know we made a great point there of you know this is it's very much going to be individualized, but there are some certain things that you can look for, and so I'm glad that you mentioned a lot of those. And for me, when I'm evaluating a runner, I you know I mentioned you mentioned treadmill assessment, and then I start to you know I I revert back to a lot of the stuff that um, Chris Johnson talks about, you know, Mm -hmm. and so um, I really enjoyed that course we've had him on here before and you know i think that's you know for me that's the guy i, I talk to or i'm i'm looking at his stuff when i'm working with runners and he has his um you know, his six S's that he looks for that he can, um, you know, or variables when it comes to, um, runners when you're doing treadmill analysis. And I think that that really works well for, you know, for a lot of things, their strike pattern, the sound of it, how many steps they are taking, you know, the speed of it, what's their swing look like, um, what position is their shin, you know, so there's a bunch of, and then shoes, you know, all those different S variables. And man, um, for me, it seems like a lot of it, you you touched on it. The very end there was the cadence and that is huge you know it seems to be that a lot of times that solves a lot of other problems um so if mm-hmm. we can increase the you know people's cadence oftentimes if they if they need it you're going to get a better strike pattern a lot of times you're it's going to end up being softer they're you know they're obviously they're taking more steps um their position of their their shin meaning their like stride length kinda is kind of what we were talking about there is going to be a little bit better um and so i think that's great and uh, you mentioned getting that and i would i would try to not increase the step rate when you're if you're going to practice this or you're working with somebody more than five maybe up to ten percent at a time um, at least initially. So they're coming in, they're running, um, you know, at 155, step, you know, steps per minute. I'm not necessarily jumping them to 180, right? Even if, you know, I thought that 180 was where I wanted to go, you know, it's, well, let's start at 160 and, and use a metronome and get them comfortable there. So, you know, five to 10% usually uh, appropriate there. And I think for me, that's the biggest variable that I, I manipulate with people and it tends to sure up a lot of other things.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think, I think that was spot on what you just said. Um, especially if, the the baseline data you got was also provocative right so right you know, just playing off of what you said about chris johnson because see, you know I, I don't think anybody teaches running better um mm-hmm. physical therapy world at least um <clears throat> you know other things you can do it, you want to try to go with minimal coaching right because we don't want to give these people paralysis by analysis um just have them take their shoes off and tell them to keep it quiet you know that's straight from chris johnson mm-hmm. if things feel better we're on to something right um yeah. you might even want to get them on the actual treadmill again with their shoes off but probably what's going to have to happen is you're going to need to manipulate their step rate, like you said. So um, that is again, where your baseline data com- uh, comes in handy. So you mentioned 160 steps per minute, just to you know be precise with that. Uh, 5% of that would be bumping it up from 160 to 168, right? So right. the metronome yep. apps are free and uh, mm-hmm. pro metronome is the one that I use. And it's really, really easy for runners to actually do that on all. And they're basically just matching the beat. And again, mm-hmm. if, they feel better than you're winning. Right. So, right. um, and just elaborate on what you said, I believe it was that 5% increase in step rate, um, has been shown to decrease some of the ground reaction force going into the joints by up to 20%. Right. So, so right. that's huge. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, if that works though, and, and again, Chris Johnson quote, right. We, you know, if, if they feel better with their shoes off, keeping it quiet, increasing that step rate, then we need to see if they can replicate that with their shoes on. So, you know, run barefoot in your shoes. Mm, there you go
1: i love that man i think he has another great quote that i love that it said 80 percent of runners run at 80 percent effort 80 percent of time <laughs> and that's why 80 percent of them get injured <laughs> and i was like you know what that i, I just love that too man so shout out yep. to him at zarin pt if you want somebody to follow um as like a running guru man um sure. i think the only thing we haven't really talked about yet um i guess you know completely we've mentioned it before is a lot of times we need to get runners or get these people strong you know oh, yeah. and that and that's such a yeah, you know, that, that's something that's you know honestly could be a foreign topic for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a runner, especially if a especially they've been a runner all their life, and that's you know what they know. And like you mentioned, where we are in Columbia, South Carolina, you know that's that's kind of preached in some of the areas and some of the circles around here, man. That you know you don't necessarily need a lot of resistance training. And so um, for me, I'm introducing a lot of basic resistance training, you know, things with these people, figuring out what kind of squat variation can I do? What kind of hinge can this person do, you know, based on the, if they've never done it before, you're, 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 yeah, this is where going into coach mode is very important being able to teach these movements, because, you know, we're going to need to get these people strong. And I'm paying, you know, a good attention to you know a lot of single leg work, trying to, you know, build up some lateral glute strength, but also I'm doing, you know, like, like Chris Johnson demonstrated, I'm doing a lot of stuff for the calf muscle complex, whether it be, you know, you know, what he calls like creep you know, creeping or creep marches where you're on your toes, or, you know, even if I'm doing, you know, and, you know, something like an upper body, you know, banded row, but up on on the toes a little bit and, and you know, getting the isometric contraction of the, of the calf muscle complex. I mean, that's, you know, doing things like that to really start to get build up some resiliency here. Because again, if the tissues can, it can, you know, have a greater capacity, they can tolerate a greater load. So that means it's going to end up reducing the the risk of injury there. So that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build up tissue capacity by getting them freaking strong and then progressing their mileage and the loading appropriately.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, for sure, man. Those are, those are all great points. Cause you know, the fact is that, you know, if you, if you did start with trying to manipulate their running gait, and it didn't change their pain, I wouldn't get discouraged because they probably have a lot of work to do. They probably need yeah. to spend some time getting strong. And you know, another thing I want to add to that is, you know, sometimes if people come in really hot, we might want to do some manual therapy to calm it down. It might be needle scraping, cupping, whatever. It all works, right? Yeah. Just, just got to make sure you're not giving your patient some kind of BS narrative that you're breaking up scar tissue or making their IT band longer. Um, other things too, uh, mobility issues might be a factor as well. Ankles mm-hmm. probably, right? Feet turning out, lacking dorsiflexion. Uh, knees caving in on squat, they might be lacking some of that tibial internal rotation or lateral tibial glide. Um, you know, we might need to restore a little bit of knee extension. Might need some more hip external rotation. Um, but a lot of times, the mobility all checks out, and then it could just be a motor learning or strength issue. And anecdotally, the the person that you want is is the runner without any experience in street training because they're a blank slate. And the reality is that anything that you throw at them, as long as it makes sense it, and as long as they do it, it's probably going to work. Um, so I think just kind of breaking down a little bit about what you said, um, when it comes to strengthening people, I I think I tend to take more of like a bottom up approach these days Mm -hmm. more so than I used to. Um, so I'll do things like I'll teach them the the short foot position that we call it. And I'll put this in, I'll put that position into a single leg balance activity. When I can, I like to challenge lateral hips. So we might do something like a single leg stance with RNT with a hip circle around the knees or, you know, single leg balance with hip abduction on the other side. Um, if I'm working my way up, you know, I know your boss at Onward, he, he hates on clams, but you know, I will definitely <laughs> use it as a novice. So that, because, because sometimes people just need to feel what hip external rotation or hip abduction feels like. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we can segue that into some functional weight bearing movements and, you know, if we're going to squat or, you, you know, it, we might need to throw a hip circle around the knees to cue some hip external rotation. Um, you know, I also like to hit some type of deadlift. Um, you know, for runners, I tend to hit RDLs more often for the glute max recruitment and for the eccentric loads on the hamstrings. Um, and I will say this too, you know, when it comes to loading, you know, we're hitting everything, but I do tend to put an emphasis on the frontal and the transverse planes because runners are essentially just moving forward all the time. Right. So we got to mm-hmm. make sure we're strong in all those other planes. Um, so like you said, you mentioned you do a lot of single leg strength, strengthening. I think that's super important, right? So loaded step ups, a lot of suitcase work, you know, suitcase step ups, marching, mm-hmm. walking. Uh, rear foot elevated squat squats. You know, I love that eccentric load in the hip flexors in the back. Um, oh, so talked about this earlier, right? Step downs, right? Yeah. Lateral anterior, especially anterior. If they're having pain going downhill or going downstairs, they need to make sure that they have good control. You know, within those planes. Uh, I think trunk work is really important too. You know, right? Our our trunks need to be robust. Uh, they got to be able to transfer loads to and from our hips, and. The other thing that you mentioned, you talked about calf work. You talked about Chris Johnson's exercise. That's that's huge, right? Especially if you are going to manipulate their step rate, you better believe we're doing a lot of calf work to beat those, oh, yeah. up, get them conditioned. Because that's the first thing you're going to notice. You, can, you know, hey, I tried your 168 sets per minute, but it blew up our calves, right? So mm-hmm. you gotta be ready to um, be ready to hit those hard. Um, you know, other than that, I think that <sighs> I think the, the the besides getting strong, I think that whenever they're done, kind of in the session, I, I will throw in some soft tissue work like foam rolling or body tempering. And again, that's mainly for the psychology because I know that these people, when they come in, they've already looked up a million ways to foam roll. Right. And, mm-hmm. and you're going to see a thousand people, you know, rolling their IT band out. And I just talked to them about how the IT band doesn't actually stretch and you don't have to like punish yourself because you know, it's pretty tender whenever you put a foam roll on it, but mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe think of the IT band as like a structure that divides your thigh into like a, like a front and a back. And so I'll set a little bit and hit with those quads, dive into the front of this hamstring, dive into the back. I don't think there's anything wrong with post-workout stretching or foam rolling decreased tone, but um, it might just be something, a a nice little uh, piece of the puzzle to get the patient to buy into what you're doing yeah
1: yeah i man I loved all those um exercise examples. I know hopefully people were either taking notes or they're gonna pause go back and start writing some of those things down because um you know that was that 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 was a, a an impressive answer there and I think you know for me just to take it back to the initial question um which was kind of about like you know they've had you know this individual is p t and had you know i'm assuming a PT, we talked about having people in clinic and seen a couple cases of these um you know how how do we go about taking care of this or treating it and so there's kind of a comprehensive overview you know it's a, a good subjective figuring out what's going on what aggravates it what eases it how bad does it get what kind of training are they doing what kind of mileage are they' putting in if it's a runner what kind of other activities do they do you know x, y and z from that and then also from a physical exam not just you know you know palpation at the knee and then overtest which is probably what you know a lot of people are uh, you know maybe going to and you know initially um, you know look at the ankles look at the hips figure out are we are we lacking any range of motion that you know in a certain place or is there anything kind of positioning issue that we need to work on um- getting somebody stronger you know i like your ground up approach you know i i hadn't thought of it in that way of like okay well i'm going to start here and move up i kind of uh for me a lot of it I, you know i just maybe it's just because the way i'm wired from the strength conditioning background i start like big to small so it's like man i want to see if i can find a squat variation for this person they can tolerate and load it up you know like that, that's where where i go a lot of times too like but again you know i don't want to neglect you know making sure that they understand the short foot position and being able to have their single leg balance so i like how systematic you were in that approach there and i think i'm Probably going to you know attempt to adopt some of that too, um, but then getting them strong, and then you know with all of this also watching them run. You know if they're a runner and they're telling you of you lateral knee pain, you're not watching them run you're kind of, you might be missing the boat there too. Mm-hmm. You know, got You got to watch them run too. Again, assuming it's not so lit up that, you know, you're going to, if it's so lit up and they talk about, man, I take five steps and it blows me up. then you know, maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to blow them up if it's super, super irritable, but you want to watch them run. You got to figure out how you can analyze it. And then addressing some of those things we talked about, some of those S's specifically, maybe step rate um, as one of your first go-tos. Um, you know, I think that can, Help you put together a pretty comprehensive plan, Um and and it really is going to help that person get back to to what they're trying to do.
2: My job there, man. Got to no. We got we to gotta test the waters for sure. We got to watch them run. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How I many times yeah. people walked in and said, "Oh, the founder didn't even look at my knee. He didn't touch me, he didn't watch me move," that kind of thing. So yeah.
1: Yeah, I can't remember who has the quote, but it's some PT I think I follow that said, like, man, if your doctor didn't watch you do the activity you said that's like bothering you, that like you need a new doctor. Like If you said yeah. it hurts when you squat and, you know, they didn't have you squat, you know, it might be time to find somebody else, uh, you know.
2: Common sense, prevail. I
1: know, man. It's like, oh, my knee hurts when I squat. And it's like, okay, well, uh, you know, probably because you're squatting too low. We don't want you to do that. It's bad for your knees. You know, <laughs> here's a prescription to help with the pain. Don't squat any deeper. You know, it's like, it's like well, yeah, yeah that it, it's amazing what you, you hear sometimes. So, you know, make sure that if you're a PT out there, or you're working with people or, you know, you're you're watching them do the activity. They say is blowing them up a little bit and then you're seeing what you need to do next.
2: Absolutely. So good, good episode, man. A lot of actual content. And I hope that we did justice to our friends over there in the Holy Land. And if not, let's chat more about it. And as for the rest of you, if you have a request, send us a DM on Instagram at Better Faster Podcast. If you like the episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That's what helps us reach more people. Enjoy your week. We'll be back next Monday.
1: This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialists. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at VertexPT.com or on the gram at VertexPT.